All right. Let's feast on the Bible. Amen. Right? I love it. Don't be so excited. It's manna, right? Israelites are never excited for manna. Oh, more manna. Great. <laughs> um, <clears throat> the book of Leviticus, I'm convinced, is going to be a great blessing for us. Uh, there are mountains and mounds of truth uh, and, and really, really good theology in the book of Exodus, but it is under a layer <laughs> of concrete that you have to mine through. Uh, but I think the Lord's going to have some really great special things for us uh, as, as we go through this book. But uh, today we are in the book of Leviticus in chapter 5. We're starting. Um, we'll get, uh, get a few verses in anyways, but there's some, I think there's some good truths for us. Let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. and uh, Lord, we're so grateful, we're so thankful, Lord, for who you are and for the fact that you've called us uh, to be your disciples, Lord, through Jesus. We ask, Father, that you would give us surrendered hearts, uh, Lord, surrendered minds, um, that we would just um, surrender all of who we are, Lord, to you and allow you to come in um, and do whatever it is that you desire to do in our hearts and in our lives, Lord, that we would give you full and free reign, Lord, to move us uh, and to make us, to mold us as you see fit, Lord, uh, and that we would, be, we would be surrendered to your word, uh, Lord, that we would never allow our feelings uh, to get in the way of the truth of what your word says, Lord, that we would never allow cultural influence, uh, Lord, or what, what the world is saying is right, uh, Lord, to dictate how we interpret Scripture. But we would also, we would always allow Scripture to dictate um, what we believe, Lord, and what we know to be true, because it's your word, and because you've, you've given it to us to study and to know it, uh, so that in a crooked and perverse generation, as your apostle said, we might stand upright, Lord, knowing that we stand on your word and on your truth. So uh, we pray that you'd be accomplishing this, that you'd be bolstering our faith and our convictions uh, and our courage, Lord, to stand on the truth of your word and on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, have your way in us and in this place today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Leviticus chapter 5, <clears throat> uh, we're going to cover approximately 13 verses today, hopefully. Uh, if a person sins in hearing the utterance of an oath and is a witness, whether he has seen or known of the matter, if he does not tell it, he bears guilt. We'll come back and visit that. If a person touches any unclean thing, whether it is the carcass of an unclean beast or the carcass of unclean livestock or the carcass of unclean creeping things, and he is unaware of it, he also shall be unclean and guilty. Or if he touches human uncleanness, whether uncleanness with which a man may be defiled, and he is unaware of it, when he realizes it, then he shall be guilty. Or if a person swears, speaking thoughtlessly with his lips to do evil or to do good, whatever it is that a man may pronounce by an oath, and he is unaware of it, when he realizes it, then he shall be guilty in any of these matters. And it shall be when he is guilty in any of these matters that he shall confess that he has sinned in that thing. And he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord for his sin which he has committed. A female from the flock, a lamb or a kid of the goats as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him concerning his sin. If he is not able to bring a lamb, then he shall bring to the Lord for his trespass which he has committed two turtle doves or two young pigeons, 
one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering. And he shall bring them to the priest who shall offer that which is for the sin offering first and wring off its head from its neck, but shall not divide it completely. Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering on the side of the altar, and the rest of the blood shall be drained out at the base of the altar. It is a sin offering. And he shall offer the second as a burnt offering according to the prescribed manner. So the priest shall make atonement on his behalf for his sin which he has committed, and it shall be forgiven him. But if he is not able to bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, then he whose sin shall bring for his offering one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour as a sin offering. He shall put no oil on it, nor shall he put frankincense on it, for it is a sin offering. Then he shall bring it to the priest, and the priest shall take his handful of it as a memorial portion and burn it on the altar according to the offerings made by fire to the Lord. It is a sin offering. Then the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin that he has committed in any of these matters, and it shall be forgiven him. The rest shall be the priests as a grain offering. That's where we're going to stop today. Uh, But Leviticus chapter 5, starting with verse 1, the first thing that the Lord tells Moses here, if a person sins in hearing the utterance of an oath and is a witness, whether he has seen or known of the matter, if he does not tell it, he bears guilt. This is for someone who does not tell the whole truth while under oath, okay? This is a situation where someone has been called as a witness in any manner. Now, everything was established under the law out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, remember. And so any matter, whether it was concerning a matter of livestock or property or whether it was concerning a matter of uh, something that was done uh, in, in, in anything where there might have been a trespass or a transgression, whether it's against God or whether it's against person, uh, or whether it's against the person, that matter would be brought before the judges, there would be witnesses brought, and the matter would be resolved in that way. Uh, particularly if there was a dispute between two people, uh, witnesses would be brought in, and of course God had charged them, and he's going to continue that throughout the scriptures, charging them that you would never, ever, ever, and you guys all know this, if, even if you're a mild Bible student, if you've mildly studied the Bible, thou shalt not bear false witness. I mean, that's one of the main commandments, is not bearing false witness. Now, we talked last week about the fact that these offerings that God is prescribing for the people to offer up, this is not for willful sin, but this is for sins that were committed in ignorance, okay? Uh, And we we know a little bit about that, sins of commission or sins of omission, things done uh, uh, intentionally or without even knowing, but things that were not predetermined, things that were not um, premeditated is the, is the better word. That's what these sacrifices are for. Uh, impulsive things. So we're going to be dealt with that last week, and we're going to be dealing with that a little bit this week. Or things that you didn't know or realize that you were doing that were wrong, and then it comes to your attention. There are no sacrifices, and I think this is uh, important to reiterate, there are no sacrifices to be offered for specific willful sins. There is only punishment for those things. We're going to get in chapter 6, we're going to start getting into sins that were committed, that were committed knowingly, and it's just the crime and then the punishment. There is no sacrifice to be offered for those things. These are for things that are in everyday life. 
uh, because we're human beings and because it is impossible for us to completely keep the law every single day. It is impossible for us to remain holy and blameless before the Lord because as long as we, as we say, as long as we're in these bags of skin, right, as long as we're in these biomechanical suits, we are subject to its tendencies and to its weaknesses. Now, God has given us the power by his Holy Spirit to have victory over sin, to triumph over sin, but there are so many sins that beset us just in our humanity, and nevertheless, they have to be atoned for. Uh, You know, sinning out of ignorance is no excuse for sinning, right? You guys all know this. Anybody who's got a driver's license... And have ever gone where it's gone from a 55 to a 35, or a 55 to a 45, and you missed the sign, and you're still driving along, a <laughs> cruise set on 63, okay, and you get pulled over to say, officer, I never saw the sign. Oh, you didn't see the sign? Oh my gosh, you didn't see the sign? My bad. You're free to go. Has that ever happened to anybody? Maybe some of you pretty ladies, <laughs> but, but for fat, ugly guys, that don't happen, okay? And here's the reason why. It's just, it's just the law is not dependent on whether or not I realize something is the law. The law is the law. I am accountable to the law regardless of whether or not I'm aware of it. And when the law is broken, remedy has to be made for it, pure and simple. And now God in his mercy and in his grace is allowing for some of these sins that were done impulsively or unwittingly or unknowingly or sins of omission to be sacrificed for a sacrifice to be made for them to be forgiven of it so that their guilt might be taken away. But again, sins that were committed that were willful that was just flat out and out rebellion against God's law, knowingly committed, there was only punishment. There was only punishment. Talking to a brother in between services about King David and about the sins that David committed, adultery, murder. I mean, David was pretty much guilty of the worst possible things you can do, right? And yet, God calls him a man after my own heart. And there was no sacrifice or remedy to be made for the sins that David committed. Understand this. This is kind of an anomaly in Scripture that under the Mosaic law, David ought to have been stoned to death for the sins of adultery and for the sins of murder. And yet God allowed David to be a living example for us of the grace and mercy of God. And yet we know that all of the Old Testament saints, from David to Moses to Abraham to Elijah, every single last one of them, when they died, remember, they did not go to heaven. You say, huh? What are you talking about? They all went to Sheol. They all went to Hades, what we call in our language hell. We know from Scripture in Jesus' teachings that there were two compartments of hell. There were the place for the righteous dead and the place for the unrighteous dead. If you remember, when Jesus tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus, he reveals all of this to us. 
that the rich man lived in opulent luxury and Lazarus, a beggar, sought just to eat the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. And yet Lazarus was a righteous man and the rich man was not. And so when they died and they went both of them into Hades, the rich man was put into the place of torment for the unrighteous dead and uh, Lazarus was put into what is called Abraham's bosom, a place of comfort for those who had died righteously, for those whose hearts were pure before God. And yet it was still in Hades. It was still in Hades. None of the Old Testament saints could go to heaven. Why? Because none of them were blameless under the law. We have all sinned. What does the Bible say about sin? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says there is no one righteous, not even one. And so each and every one of the Old Testament saints had to go to Hades, the righteous to Abraham's bosom, because Jesus Christ had not yet died. Now, we get another sneak peek into glory when Peter talks about Jesus, after he died, descending into the lower parts of the earth and preaching to those... Who were there? In other words, Jesus, when he died during those three days and three nights when he was dead, his body was physically dead, his soul went down into Sheol, into Hades, and preached the gospel to those who were captive there. Can you imagine? You picture this in your mind, you know, because we think of like the things that are real are the things that we can see and experience with our senses, and the spiritual stuff is more of a mystical type thing. But really, that's not the way it is in God's economy. The things that are spiritual are just as real, if not more real, than the things that are physical. And you can dig into that as deep as you want to go. You can start talking about, you know, uh, uh, you know, the, the law of what's the where the talks about the dimensions. Which one is that, Pop? Is that thermodynamics? It's not thermodynamics. Is it trigonometry? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, what, what's the thing that has proved there's at least five dimensions? What's that thing called? That scientific study? I know. Who doesn't? Doesn't matter. Who cares? We know. <laughs> some of us do. Not me, but we know that there are at least five dimensions, that there are five dimensions. Now, Chuck Missler is great at this stuff. He talks about this. If you go to Koinonia, khouse.org, he's got all this cool stuff. But he talks about the fact that we are three-dimensional beings. If you were to take uh, a piece of paper and draw your little stick figure and then bring that little stick figure to life, it's a two-dimensional being, and it can only relate to you within its two dimensions. Uh, but you can turn it over and see the backside of that paper because you're a three-dimensional being. So, so understanding principalities and, and demonic and angelic presence and all of these different things is simply a matter of understanding that there's more than three dimensions. You understand? The bottom line is, is that we only inhabit three of those dimensions. And so there could be an angelic being that inhabits all five dimensions that could be standing right here, and we can't see him because we can't inhabit those dimensions. Does that make any sense? Okay, good. <laughs> Wasn't quite sure there. The spiritual things are just as real. And so when you imagine in your mind, you think about the stuff that we're talking about, about Jesus Christ, that his spirit descends into the lower parts of the earth and delivers the gospel, you can know for yourself that those people, King David and Moses and Elijah 
And all of these Old Testament heroes and saints that we studied, as they stood there in Abraham's bosom, Jesus really went there. And Jesus really entered into that place. And Jesus really delivered to them the gospel. In essence said, I'm here. And everything that you hoped for, and everything that you prophesied, and the things that you understood and the things that you didn't understood, have now been fulfilled in me. Will you receive me? What do you think their answer was? I'm good. I'm good. I kind of like it here in Abraham's bosom. <laughs> you know what I mean? It gets a little boring, but the Bible says he led a great train to heaven because, of course, he emptied the place out. But it's a, it's a spiritual and, and, and doctrinal truth that we can find throughout the scriptures that this is the case. Okay, now, I say all that to say this. <laughs> Whether or not we know we've sinned, if sin has happened, we're guilty. If sin has happened, we're guilty. And Moses is being told by God, this is the prescribed way in which to offer atoning sacrifices for those sins done in ignorance. The first of which, hearing the utterance of no, this is a person who has been called as a witness, someone who has been put under oath, and for whatever reason, has not been completely honest, has not been completely truthful has withheld some of what they know. Uh, you know when, you put, when you're uh, in a courtroom situation, you put your hand, I don't even know if you put your hand on the Bible anymore, uh, and you said you, they said you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. That used to actually mean something. That used to actually really mean something. And those are heavy and weighted words. And you as a witness in our courts would be held accountable, and we still are to this day, if you lie under oath. Where do you think we got this from? If you didn't tell the whole truth, you're guilty. There's a guilt that's there. And, and, and no doubt, it's for, it's, it's, we're not talking about bearing false witness necessarily. We're talking about someone who didn't want to offend who didn't think this was important, and yet they weren't completely and openly honest. There's guilt there. Uh, I wanted to read a, um, a portion of Scripture from Proverbs chapter 6, uh, starting with verse 16 and going to 19. It says, These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him, a proud look, a lying tongue, Hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift to run in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. And in that, in that list, what you can see is pride and deceit. Pride and deceit. And man, this is part and parcel to the human condition, is it not? Pride and deceit. Because any time that in my pride I'm trying to exert my will, I'm trying to get my way, or I'm trying to avoid consequence because I don't want to deal with it because of my pride, so often deceit follows after it. 
Deceit follows after it. God hates it. Some of these are just straight out wickedness. You know, it talks about hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil. These are just people in this world who just are absolutely in darkness and love the darkness and seek after wicked things. You may have from time to time worked with people like this or known people like this. You ever know somebody or have somebody in your life that was just into something bad all the time? And if there was a choice between doing the right thing and the wrong thing, almost like as often as possible, they would choose, willingly choose the wrong thing. There's just no equivocation about it whatsoever. They would just, God hates that, not that person, God hates that spirit. God hates that truth that is within the, 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 the human heart. A person whose heart is just running towards evil. The other thing is a lying tongue, that deceitfulness, that untruthfulness. When we get all the way to the end of Revelation and it talks about the kingdom, it says, but outside are all liars, all liars. The one thing, one of the things that God requires that is so necessary for us in order to come to him and have a relationship with him through Christ Jesus, guys, is honesty, is honesty to be real with yourself before God, to allow yourself to be laid open or laid bare in his presence, not just about the things that you know you have in your life that are not right, because we, we've got those, right? The things that we're praying every night going, oh Lord, maybe tomorrow. <laughs> Maybe I'll finally stop doing, maybe I'll finally get away from this. Lord, help me with this thing. We have those things. But the things in your life that you may not even know are wrong, that you may not even know are something that God doesn't want you to do, or there's something that God does want you to do that you're not doing, that you would be just as willing to confess those to always allow yourself to be open before the Lord. It reminds me of uh, King Asa, who was this wonderful king in Israel. He was a good king. He was a righteous king. He was a just king. There was an, uh, an army that came against the, the nation of Israel at one point in time with a million men in the army. A million men. And Asa cried out to the Lord, and God gave him victory over this massive, enormous army. And Asa brought about sweeping reforms and change. He cast out the idols. He was a good and honorable king in the eyes of God. And then towards the end of his career, the Babylonian Empire sends ambassadors to him, and he goes out and he makes a deal with them. He makes a deal with them trying to be a good negotiator, trying to be a good king, trying to make peace. And yet the prophet comes to him afterwards and says, because you made a negotiation with them, because you did not put your trust in God, you're going to have wars the rest of your, the rest of your kingdom. You're going to now deal with the consequences because whether or not you understood it, Asa, you sinned against God. And here's the tragedy in Asa's life and in Asa's reign. Asa became so angry, he got so mad that he had the prophet thrown into prison. He had the prophet thrown into a dungeon. How dare you? I'm a good, honest, just king. I've always done God's will. I've always done the right thing. How dare you tell me that I'm in sin? And so he had the prophet thrown into prison. And the Bible teaches us that Asa became diseased in his feet, whatever that means. 
And he was unable to walk or go out from the palace, and he died in that condition. A bitter, miserable old man, because he got to that point in life where he thought he was just and righteous before God, and he was shown, Asa, there's still something in you that's wicked, and he would not accept it. He would not accept it. God forbid. God forbid that we would ever hold anything back from the Lord. Now, when we remember, too, that the law of Christ is higher than the Mosaic law, I think it's safe to say that under Christ's law, if we conceal the whole truth in any matter, whether we are under oath or not, that would be the heart of lying. Right? You know, I think immediately when Jesus is talking to, the, to his disciples, and he says, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you look at a woman and lust after within your heart, you've committed adultery. The whole purpose of that was to make everybody guilty, was to make everybody guilty. And so here is this law concerning false testimony, not giving the whole truth. The, the law of Christ being higher than that, I think it would be safe to say, in any matter in our lives, Christians, we ought to be completely honest. Now, I can tell you that I lie all the time. I do. I lie all the time. And here's how I love to lie. And I am guilty about it. And I feel badly about it. I don't want to hurt people's feelings. Right? And so when someone says, how do you like those muffins I made you? They were disgusting. I wouldn't give those muffins to my dog if he begged for them. It was revolting. I mean, I was full on eating those muffins. I never say that. Michelle, you're... Never. Your per muffins, there are maybe one batch. But I mean, for the most... <laughs> but that's where I... But guess what? Guess what, guys? That's a lie. Honey, how do I look? Now, Nikki doesn't have a problem in this. She never lies to me. She never lies. How do I look, honey? So death do us part, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> trying to look through the clauses here. <laughs> Is there something in there for letting himself go? I don't... Uh... But a lie is a lie. Just because... But I'm doing the right thing. But I'm trying... But I... See, I just... Don't, you don't understand. I just... I, 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 Sin is sin, guys. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, and we ought to be open and honest about it. We ought to be real about it. Don't lie to God. You know Ananias and Sapphira, right? Ooh, that story, that's a scary story because that's in the grace times. That's not even under the law times. That's in the church. And Ananias and Sapphira, they see these people that are selling all this land and giving all the proceeds to the church to help out the poor and the indigent. And they said, oh, we want all that glory, but we want to keep a little bit for ourselves. So they sell this big parcel of land. They keep part of the money. They give the rest to the apostles. And they say, there, we want to give all of what we've sold to the poor. And they know that they're lying. And so Peter says, is this all? Yes, this is all. You've not lied to me, he says to Ananias, but you've lied to the Holy Spirit. And Ananias drops over dead. Yikes. Then Sapphira comes, and they pull her aside and start questioning her. And they ask her, is this indeed the full sum? Yes, it's the full sum. You've not lied to us, but you've lied to the Holy Spirit and to God. And the feet of the young men who carried out your husband 
are coming to get you. To, you want to talk about a church growth prog- program, right? You know, you want to get, this is how this is not seeker friendly, right? Can you imagine this thing? How's that church? Well, you know, God killed a couple people there last week. You know, but, but, you know, James Vernon McGee would say that in the songs that we sing, we make ourselves liars. You know what I'm saying? James Vernon McGee, you hear him, I'll say, when I say to you, when you sing, walk through the garden, some of you wouldn't come to church if it was misty outside, you know. And he says, so we sing these songs and we make ourselves a liar. Like, man, like, I feel bad, like, you better be a grace person. You better be someone who loves and clings to the grace of God through Jesus Christ because, man, you need it. Because you get these glimpses of yourself and you're like, ooh, yikes. I'm, just a, I'm still just a big liar. I'm still just, I still have, I'm still just a sinner. And yet the Lord accepts us and receives us as his own and he loves us and he gives us the forgiveness of our sins because we're his own. Because we're his own. And it's awesome. And it's an awesome thing to know that. Uh, Or if a person touches any unclean thing, whether it is the carcass of an unclean beast or the carcass of unclean livestock or the carcass of unclean unclean creeping things, and he is unaware of it, he shall also be unclean and guilty. Death is, 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 uh, um, what's the word? It goes alongside of. I'll just say it goes alongside of. I was trying to think of big words. It's like, you know. Death goes alongside of sin. There is no death outside of sin. All death, everything that we see of death in this world is because of the fallen state of it, guys. When you see death, it never gets easier, does it? You you ever go to a funeral and you're like, man, this is a good time. I wish somebody else would die so I could go to another. I mean, never. Every single time you go to a funeral, something doesn't feel right. You can't square it. Something's off. Something's wrong. Understand, because that was never God's intention. Death was never God's plan. Death is a direct result of sin. And the fallen state of mankind and the fallen world that we live in. And so we are beset by sin on all sides all the time. We're beset by it. And so we're beset by death. And, and, and still, you know, you talk to people who don't even know the Lord, and yet they can't square death in their mind. You know what I'm saying? I, you know, I know people who are angry at God because their grandmother, who was like 155 years old, passed away. And they're angry at God or, or upset about it. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not shooting these people down. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But there's something inside of them because they can't square it. And something inside of them causes them to look at God at that point in time. Now, they're doing it incorrectly by accusing God, but the heart of the matter is is that they can't square that death because death was never supposed to be square with you, and they understand it's got something to do with God. Why? Because it's written in their DNA. It's written on their conscience and on their hearts by the Creator God. And so they understand and that they know that something about death equals something about God, and they don't know how to square it, and so they accuse God. But we know... That death is because of sin. It's because of the fallen state of things. And there's never going to be a loss or lack of death until sin is completely taken away. Until sin is completely deal with. Now, that's why scripture says, for those of us who are in Jesus Christ, where, O death, 
Where, O oh death, is your sting? Right? Where, where, O oh death, is your sting? That doesn't have sway over our hearts anymore because we've been freed from that in Jesus Christ. I love that Bible verse that precious in the eyes of God are the death of his saints. That's beautiful. And so when we go to someone who has died in Christ Jesus and we go to their funeral, we can call it a homegoing service. And though we mourn because we've lost someone that we love and there was dear to us, we can know and understand that because of what Jesus has accomplished, they aren't in pain anymore. They'll never be sick again. But they're at the feet of Jesus for eternity. That's good news. Verse 3, or if he touches human uncleanness... Whatever uncleanness with which a man may be defiled and he is unaware of it, when he realizes it, then he shall be guilty. Um, (laughs) I skipped some stuff, but we're not going to go back there now. Um, The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, I'm just giving this to you as an example. When any man has a discharge from his body, gross, his discharge is unclean. And this shall be his uncleanness in regard to his discharge. Whether his body runs with his discharge or his body is stopped up by his discharge, it is his uncleanness. Every bed is unclean on which he who has had the discharge lies. Everything on which he sits shall be unclean. Whoever touches his bed shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. He who sits on anything on which he who has the discharge shall uh, shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And he who touches the body of him who has the discharge shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. If he who has the discharge spits on him who is clean. So he's got a discharge and he's a not very nice guy. Then he shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Any saddle on which he who has had the discharge rides shall be unclean. Whoever touches anything that was under him shall be unclean until evening. He who carries any of those things shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And whomever the one who has the discharge touches and has not rinsed his hands in water, he shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. The vessel of earth that he who has had the discharge touches shall be broken and every vessel of wood shall be rinsed in water. That's from Leviticus chapter 15, verses 1 through 12. It's like, wow, unbelievable. Well, you've got to understand a couple of things when we're talking about the law. First of all, first of all, God was minimalizing sickness and disease within the camp to the maximum. A lot of the ceremonial laws, a lot of the dietary laws, and a lot of these laws of uncleanness was to keep the camp pure from sickness and the spread of disease. Okay, they did not have John Hopkins University Hospital. You know, they didn't have SUNY up. They didn't have any of these things. They had the law. And God was like, don't eat all this stuff over here because it's unclean. You don't realize it, but it's unclean. And y'all could get sick from it and have problems from it. And don't touch this stuff because you don't even understand the nature of virus. You don't know what a virus is. You know what I mean? What would you say? Cyrus? No, virus, you know. You don't even know what these things are all about. So just, and I love this because it's a wonderful lesson for us in and of itself. They didn't understand anything about germs or bacteria or viruses. They only knew that God said no. And so we're going to honor God and believe and trust that his law is what's best for our lives. It doesn't matter that they didn't understand about it. It doesn't matter that they didn't know the fullness of it. I always think of the priests and the Pharisees with their washing of hands. Why do your disciples do what is unlawful upon them? And they're not washing their hands before they eat. They didn't know nothing about germs. Have any of you read the statistics 
about what's on your phone? It's disgusting. You, the, the germs and the bacteria and the types of germs and bacteria that are all over your hands and the people's hands whose hands you shake and on your smartphone is disgusting. You, you can't think about it. You go dive into a pool of antibacterial soap because it's disgusting. That's why they got that hand sanitizer. You know what I mean? You ever get offended? Someone's like, hey, nice to meet you. You know what I mean? Because you're, you're disgusting. That's why. They don't know where your hands have been. Right? It's true. And I always think about this. The Pharisees are like, well, we're clean now, huh, Bob? <laughs> no. <laughs> Not even close. You didn't kill one germ in that wash. You got no dial soap. Not one of those germs did you kill. They, they couldn't even see the level of uncleanness. God sees. God sees. And that's why it's so wonderful that in God's goodness and in God's grace, he took all of these requirements and all of that uncleanness and the handwritings of the requirements of the law which were against us because they're contrary to our very nature, and he nailed them to the cross. He nailed them to the cross. Now, the scripture for, for us as believers is, is just as plain. Our sins are forgiven for. We are atoned for. We, 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 have, we have been given freedom from our own sin. But that does not give us that does not give us the right to go out and sin willfully. You understand? That does not go out and commit the, the right to sin willfully. Give us the right. If I'm doing things that are wrong, I can expect to suffer the consequences of those things. I can expect that. Because there is no get out of jail free card for the Christian. Right? If I am doing things that I know are wrong. God is not going to free me from the consequences of these things. That's not the way it works. That's not the way it works. We can get more into the, if someone commits a sin not leading to death, and then a sin leading to death, and all these things. You can get into a lot of that stuff about that. But God has not forgiven us, and God has not bestowed His grace and mercy upon us so that we can continue on doing the stuff. And yet there's things in my heart, and there's things in my life that I continue to, start to deal with. And continue to struggle with. And you're surprised at yourself. You're surprised at yourself. Guess who's not surprised? God. He's not surprised. But he wants us to press forward. He wants us to press forward. This is where that honesty comes in. This is where that truthfulness comes in. To just lay it before the Lord God. All of it. There's no excuse to be made. For any of it, whether it's, it's the, the quick road rage incident or that re, reoccurring besetting sin that I'm dealing with. There's no excuse for any of it. But there is forgiveness for it. But there is a cleansing available for it. And that's what God offers because he's good. We'll stop there. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you so much for uh, your truth, Lord. Uh, thank you, Father, that we, we don't have to uh, even worry about the why, Lord. We can just be obedient to your word and obedient to your spirit uh, and know, Lord God, that you're seeking to accomplish your very best will in our lives and in our hearts, Father. We pray, Father, that you would um, just help us to be real uh, with one another, Lord, and with you, um, to be always willing, Lord, to confess our sins, Lord. And when we're shown something in our lives that's an uncleanness uh, or a sin, Lord, 
whether it's of, of, of willful or not, Lord, we pray that we would have humble hearts, uh, Lord, to just, to just say, hey, Lord, forgive me of that as well and help me to have a heart and a mind, Lord, to be able to see and to know the things that are approved and the things that are not approved. And when I'm <laughs> introduced to something in my life that I didn't know was sin, and yet it is, to just simply confess it, Lord, and also lay that before you at, your, at the altar, Lord. Just, oh, have your way in us, Lord. Conform us into the image and likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray, Father, and help us to be like him. Help us always to be seeking to make our will uh, match your will, Father, and to always be doing the things that you've called us to do, Lord. I pray that you would bless all of my brothers and sisters who are here this morning. I pray that you would be with them throughout this week, Lord. Uh, I pray, Father, that you would uh, forgive them for the use of illegal fireworks. <laughs> and I pray that you would, you would bless them, Lord, uh, in their communion with other saints and their communion with sinners, Lord, their communion with family members and friends who don't know you, Lord. And I pray that you would fill up their hearts with the joy, with your joy and with your spirit, Lord, and you'd give them opportunity to share the gospel with somebody this week, Lord. I pray, Father, that this week they would be a missionary. I pray that this week, Lord, you would use them in a mighty way and that they would feel your presence in their hearts and their spirits coursing through them, Lord, and that they would just be filled up with life and with peace and with joy that would overflow from them, Lord, to the people around them, and they would be unmistakable, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would use them in a mighty way and that you would continue drawing us to yourself, Lord, and continue showing us what it is that you need us to do in these last days for your kingdom. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, guys.